is the security situation getting worse? That's the question on the show today. Again, is the security situation in the country getting worse? We started this conversation last week and we're continuing it again today, right? Uh, because it's still a big issue. More things have come up since then. So let's keep talking about insecurity in Nigeria. Here's today's big hard fact. In 2020, Nigeria retained its third place on the Global Terrorism Index behind Afghanistan and Iraq. Those are two countries in the midst of civil wars. Meanwhile, in fourth position, we have Syria. Syria, another country in a civil war. So make of that what you will. If you look around Nigeria, we see different types of insecurity with different non-state actors all happening at once. So we need to talk about how the government is responding to each of them and whether something different can be done. My first guest is a security journalist with Humangle, Abdullahi Motala. Welcome back to Hard Facts. Thank you very much for having me. My second guest is a security analyst for SBM Intelligence. Um, they are also the source of today's big hard fact, Confidence Macharry. Welcome uh, to Hard Facts. Thank you for having us, Andrew. Lagos, we want to hear from you as well. What do you think is behind this degeneration of security? What do you think can be done to tackle it? Now, let's start in Kaduna State. Um, we have the ongoing hostage situation with the Greenfield student. Voice of America is reporting that the abductors say they'll kill more students by tomorrow if the state government insists on not paying a ransom. Now, we know Governor Elrofi's position. If he pays ransom, criminals will use it to get more weapons, become even harder to stop next time. Also, the president could embolden other criminals to do the same thing. So the state government is caught between a, a rock and a hard place here. Abdullahi, is there a solution where they can get these young people home safe without undermining the security situation going forward? Well, I would say that it's a very complicated situation. Uh, as they only tested it, that um, preventing crime is much more easier and cheaper than actually responding to it. Uh, in this situation, there are lives of Nigerians at stake. Uh, lives of Nigerians that the Nigerian state killed in the first place. Uh, they ha it was no fault of theirs. They actually went to the region and the system could not protect them. And it's only an obligation of the Nigerian state to ensure that whatever measures that they can put in place to protect the kids and bring them back to their parents is uh, initiated and implemented. And after that, uh, the state can, can also take uh, measures to ensure that perpetrators are brought to book uh, to suffer deterrence to others and to also uh, prevent the occurrence of such situations. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, even though uh, I, I, you have talked a bit about it um, when we were here last week. Uh, but confidence, is there a way that um, we can get these young people home safe without undermining the security situation going forward? Well, uh, the first the first uh, issue goes to here. Uh, I think if I'm right, I mentioned it last week on the same program, is uh, the failure of intelligence. Um, I also mentioned that you cannot go uh, go ahead to enforce a rescue mission 
uh, without having all the facts you need on the ground. And and so, um, of course, there are challenges we have within our intelligence gathering system in the country. And, uh, of course, there have been government efforts to plug some of them, one of them being the linking of the national identification number with people's SIM cards. And and so... Um, it's 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 a problem, yeah, really. Uh, in, in a country that has that is beset with a lot of internal security challenges, uh, one of its core mandates should be a focus on its intelligence services. Well, well quite sadly, uh, our intelligence services have not been up and doing, especially on issues that affect the state. And so, um, if if you ask me, if a proper rescue mission can be effected without endangering the lives of the hostage. I cannot categorically answer that question from where I am now, mm. but all I can say is that um, if, if you really want to carry out a rescue mission, I mean, um, you, you, need, you, you need all the supports you, you can get, not, not just from within, but from outside too. And much, much more importantly, um, the, the situation of the place you carry out the rescue mission, in the aftermath of the rescue mission, how far? Because there are so many other occasions whereby state security services effect a rescue mission for a kidnapped person, and then the kidnappers regroup as they use that particular place where they held the hostage to hold more hostages. And so many people attribute this problem to ungoverned spaces, but the fact remains that these particular spaces are being governed, but not governed by your regular state actor, but by non-state actors. Hmm. And so the thing now here is, after you effect the rescue, what comes next? That's the, that's the key, that's the thing we keep missing. What comes next after effecting a rescue mission? Now, even though El Rufai is called the chief security officer, um, Abdullahi of, of Kaduna State, he actually doesn't control the police or any other security agency there. Uh, Abdullahi, what role can a governor play in reality in a hostage situation like this? Well, uh, I think our understanding of security needs to change in Nigeria uh, for us to understand properly what will come on simply. Yes, there's actually a need for us to decentralize uh, our security architecture, especially domestic apparatus. Uh, intelligence services should not be underneath the presidency. I think we still have uh, remnants of the military era in place, and this is why the service teams need to get orders from the president before any move is made. Mm. The police need an order from Abuja before any move is made. Mm. So one of the most important structural changes that we need is not the police, mm. but actually decentralization of the command structure of our domestic uh, security system, mm. from the police to the intelligence services and other aspects of because what we mean what we call police is not just the police itself, which mm. involves supporting uh services, uh with our military activities, mm. the intelligence services and all and co. Mm-hmm. And so we really need to keep this decentralized structure so that state governors can work hand in hand with state security. Hmm. Which designed security policy and design security response. And however, it will be a threshold for incidents that require approval from Abuja. It makes no sense that a particular state 
will require orders from uh, the agent in Africa before they make the move. Mm. The practical unit has to say that we be able to conduct certain kind of operations within its threshold, either international operation, rescue operation, without necessarily the IT, because always every time we have the IT and all that means uh, the presidency and all that they are known, even in situations where they can be handled at the same level. So the president, I think that should be one of the elections, uh, decentralized power, stretch some of the power that it has, that way, in fact, uh, local authorities can be part of the responsible for their failure. Because one of the biggest problems we have in the situation is that no one can account when people are enough, when people are killed. So when you share that responsibility that you have, then it leads to others. When they fail, they can be part of the responsible for their actions. Secondly, so still government really needs that to have uh, firearms not the part to security actually. Uh, there are instances where intervention in education, social services can help prevent the crime from happening mm-hmm. and help prevent conflict and security from happening. And so also in terms of the lack of local government authority in a lot of parts of Nigeria is also part of the main uh, issues that are driving on government space. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of non-kinetic uh, approaches that can be used by state governments that are cheaper, they are not too much expensive, than uh, are going for control of the of the security apparatus that depend on the firearm. So we really we must change the way we see uh ensuring that we make the necessary social and community investment to contain security crisis and prevent uh, security crisis and then Hmm. Yeah, um, more or less has said virtually everything there is to say. Um, yes, we, we can go ahead to call um, the governor's chief security officers to the state mm-hmm. without granting them, uh, without granting them powers to actually secure these areas. Mm. Uh, they only see chief security officers on paper. Mm. I mean, if you listen to a governor like Samuel or Tom from Benue, for instance, mm-hmm. you could feel the helplessness in his voice. Mm. If you listen to Governor Sunny Bello of Niger State, the helplessness is there for everybody to see. Mm. And these are states that are creaking under the yoke of uh, over-centralization of the defense and security apparatus and with, without, without much help. And um, it's 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 actually one of the things that impinge on impinge on our efficiency in responding to uh, security crises uh, ac- across the country. Mm. And, and I, I have said I advocated in various fora that uh, one of the key ways to get security up and running is through the uh, decentralization of police. But a key thing to also note is. Um, the reform of the security architecture, which uh, a lot of people in, in these circles have been advocating. And so when the president set up the small arms control um, center, as you, as you mentioned during the headline news, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the person who was put in charge of the center said this was um, part of the process of rejigging the security architecture. What the presidency did was that they put the center under the direct control of the Office of the National Security Advisor. Mm. And aside that, uh, we still have the Cyber Security Command under the same Office of the National Security Advisor. And yes, you could argue for one that this 
is a security issue that affects that particular office. But it's still the problem that Motala just portrayed. I mean, we keep having the, the National Security Advisor basically answers to the president. Right. And so, small arms and light weapons is a malice, is a menace that affects every Nigerian today, whether in Asso Rock or on the street in Abakeleke, right. everywhere. And so, when you centralize that kind of an important commission, I am not saying that creating a center to tackle the influx of small arms and light weapons is the way to go. Mm -hmm. But I am saying that if you actually create a center like that, mm -hmm. why do you have to centralize it mm -hmm. to the point that the only people who the person can answer to is the NSA, that's Baba Gana Mungunu, mm -hmm. and the president. And so what basically we are saying is that we keep creating solutions that do not entirely address the problem. Mm. And at the end, we just keep going around in, around in circles, in circles, hoping to see that our actions and the solutions actually bring us respite. But largely, it does not. Lagos, if you just tuned in, you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. You just heard the voice of Confidence McHarry, a security analyst from SBM Intelligence. And I also have on the show with me a security journalist with Humangle, Abdullahi Murtala. We're discussing the Nigeria's security situation. Is it getting worse? Is it getting worse? We've started with Kaduna, but let's move next door to Katsina. It's 15 minutes past five, by the way, and I'll soon give you a chance to call into the show and share your thoughts. Next door in Katsina, Abdullahi, we had the Katsina Emirate Council suspending the district head in Kankara for allegedly having ties to terrorists. This is not the first time we've seen this. Early last month, the Zamfara government suspended the district head in uh, Badarawa, Shinkafi, for giving a title to an army officer who sold weapons to Boko Haram. How big is the problem of uh, collaboration among traditional rulers and military personnel? How can it be tackled effectively, Abdullahi? Well, one thing that we really need to uh, highlight or put a spotlight on is uh, not necessarily when someone is... Uh, so your voice is sounding very far away. Are you using an earpiece? Hello? Can you... Yes, but now it, but now it's breaking up. Your voice is breaking up. Oh, sorry, it's breaking over here. Oh. Uh, but go ahead. Right, so what, what I would say is that uh, because these arm groups have control... No, 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 the vo your voice is breaking up. Go back to what you were doing before. I think <laughs> I think that's better. That, that's more ma manageable. Right now, we can hear you clearly, but it's breaking up. Oh, okay, I'm draining over here. Oh, that's I right. see. I see. I see. Okay. So what I'm saying is that uh, a lot of these areas are in governed spaces, mm -hmm. and we have these armed groups who have huge influence over these areas, mm -hmm. and this has really led to division uh, of collaboration from uh, uh, local leaders that are in this environment. A lot of times, local leaders that are the only participants uh, in these communities, and we are caught in the very need. Uh, dangerous situation where most of their lives are in danger. And so it really is part of the problem here is the fact that it is not present there. Hmm. Uh, and this is something that is really addressed. Uh, and then it's a question if someone is trying to really be a collaborator, then it could cause that we will actually establish that there's evidence that comes to this person's involvement uh, with the violence. However, yeah, it's really a known fact that there are a lot of people at different strata of the society are collaborating with them. 
income groups mm. uh, because it really unhinders itself. It provides a lot of illegal jobs for people mm. uh, and an economy that it sustains itself. Mm. And because of the unemployment, the hunger, the social economic situation in Nigeria, there are a lot of people who are vulnerable, who are willing, and who will find it much more convenient mm. to uh, afflict themselves with this arm group. Really, they have everything for us to really change our approach our, and put our understanding to security. Uh, if we're making an investment, whether it's in roads, whether it's in education, we need to infuse the security angle to it and see what's the extent of it. recently, we have been having discussions about whom, uh, the governor trying to buy drones, and the question is, what are you buying them for? Mm-hmm. What, are, what exactly are you trying to apply for? Uh, how many state governors are making their policies based on data? Uh, you have a certain level of data that says this is the kind of crimes that you have. Mm-hmm. How many are crime, the kind of crimes that you have, and these are the areas where this crimes are occurring. Make investment towards addressing that issue. Mm-hmm. Our prisons, our criminal justice system needs to reform. Our, our prisons to be placed to be really in a place where our people actually uh, have some kind of collective justice, mm-hmm. and also we know that they are punished. Confidence. Yeah. Um, so, to add to what you said so far, um, one of the key reasons why we are not making progress in the fight against insecurity and violence in the country is that we have not been serious and honest with ourselves on the kind of um, approach and strategy we want to use. And you, you simply cannot make any headway if you are not honest with yourself. Um, we, we've seen this in the issue of terror financing. I'll keep referring to the issue in the UAE where about six Nigerians were jailed in, in the UAE last year for various various crimes related to terror financing um, between 2011 and uh, 2015. And among the six Nigerians who were jailed, one of them was a government official. Uh, to this, we do not know his name. And the the person who uh, uh, the Subala was in a case where soldiers had to go and rescue him receiving quotes from police when he was being arrested by the IGP intelligence team. Uh, we, for, 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 for months on end, we did, we did not know the name of the soldier who particularly led his men to go and effect their rescue. And we are seeing the same thing right now hmm. in, in, uh, in, in Kankara, where sometimes the, the government tells us that they've actually stopped some gun runners between the government or in the private sector or private citizens who are funding these terror campaigns. And in some other times, they get to tell us their names, but in the Kankara case, we are hearing that they've been suspended. There's no prosecution, there's no follow-up investigation, after suspension, and these people are allowed to go back to their normal lives. And so the point I am trying to make is that if we are serious about fighting this problem head-on, we are going to make an example of wrongdoers. It is not enough to come to the news and announce that you've actually busted some people for terror financing, which, of course, the news media last two weeks. Where are their names? Where are the faces? 
how has the investigation followed? What is the EFCC doing about this? Is this, I mean, is the punishment enough to deter would be terror financiers? I mean, these are questions we need to ask ourselves. So we cannot just have a case where the Zamfara government is suspending an MIR for awarding the chieftaincy title to an alleged governor or suspension of another person, a district head. I mean, this is happening all the time. The mm. question I'm asking is, where are their faces? What are their names? Where is the prosecution? What is the follow-up? What is the result? So until we begin to ask these hard questions and do the hard job, hmm. I mean, nothing will change. Lagos, let's talk, shall we? 0700-993-993-993. Share your thoughts with me about what you think is behind the degeneration of security. What do you think can be done to tackle it? What should Governor Elrofai do? How can collaborators be effectively rooted out of traditional institutions and the military? We've got a number for our female callers, 01465-7190. The number for men is 0700-993-993-993. You can also share your thoughts via WhatsApp. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. And yes, of course, there is Twitter at Nigeria Info FM and we're streaming live on Facebook and YouTube Nigeria Info FM. Moving east to Boronu, we got reports of Boko Haram attacking yet another military base, this time in Ajiri village, uh, Mafa local government area. This is just a few days after the attack on the base in Maynock. Is this an indication that Boko Haram believes it has the equipment and numbers to face the military head on, Abdullahi? Is that for me or for what uh, time? For Abdullahi. Okay. Mm. Yes, I can tell you. The issue with Peter Wilson in the Northwest, uh, over a decade and we are still doing the same thing over and over. Mm. Uh, millions of dollars have been invested and people are still getting killed. The world is still insecure. Communities are still getting right. It just shows the fact that uh, a lot of our, a okay, chunk of our police, don't correct me. And there's a need to really go back to the drawing board and see what is changed. Particularly in terms of the capacity ability for security forces, uh, that needs to be enhanced. A better training, better basing, better better patrols, and better collaboration communities in terms of intelligence gathering and much more active force. Uh, and also expanding of our community because what we see in the northeast is that. You have a lot of gathering towns and a lot of communities outside that have need to or no state presence. Uh, if we really need to deny uh, adversaries in this region and then terror, terror group freedom of movement, then there's a need for the Nigerian state to expand its presence beyond the gathering towns in Mexico and Co. There needs to be a presence of the state and villages. That way, it is able to see what's happening, is able to monitor and able to respond faster. Mm. And people are able to feel that they belong and they don't have to go and stay in IDP camps because of uh, uh, MP. Mm. So there's a lot that really needs to change. Uh, and we hope that we see that. And more recently, the, theater, the Army headquarters have shown that there uh, is willingness to adopt a more joint operational environment mm. where the services work with uh, towards achieving the mandate uh, they have. Mm. Uh, these uh, these uh, policies will not just any work. Mm. And I do request that you 
energy to improve the capacity of the both on ground and that issues around welfare of soldiers, occupation, medical support are uh, address the morale of the troops. That we really see how we can do that. Uh, the concern about this, the open to see how we can improve the manpower that is allocated if we can. Uh, how do we reduce the number of people that are attached with VIPs so that they can carry out other rules? Uh, how do we improve the police? Because uh, the army is doing a lot of the work. Of L- the- let's leave it at that. We'll take a break and be right back. How are you? Welcome back to your number one talk news and sports station. I'm Sandra Ezekwesili and we're talking about Nigeria's security situation. We're taking a look at Nigeria. If you look at the different types of insecurity, different non-state actors all happening at once, um, what you see isn't very, very um, cheerful. So we need to talk about how government is responding to each of them and whether something different can be done. And if you've been paying attention since we started, we've been doing a step-by-step approach. So we started in Kaduna State with uh, more recent news about the ongoing hostage situation with the Greenfield students. Voice of America is reporting that the abductors say that they'll kill more students by tomorrow if the state government insists on not not paying a ransom. And then we moved to Katsina where... um, the Katsina Emirate Council suspended the district head in Kankara for allegedly having ties to terrorists. And then we also talked about Zamfara suspending the district head in, in Badarawash in Kafi for giving a title to an army officer who uh, sold weapons to Boko Haram. And we even moved east to Borono, uh, where we got reports of Boko Haram attacking yet another military base. My guests have been sharing insights uh, on the, uh, on this situation. One of them is a security journalist with Hume Angle, Abdullahi Mochala. And then our second guest is a security analyst for SBM Intelligence. And uh, before the break, Abdullahi was talking to us about um, whether or not um, the fact that Boko Haram attacked yet another military base is an indication that Boko Haram believes it has the equipment and the numbers to face the military head on. It's a question I'm going to be asking Confidence as well, Confidence Makhari. Is this what you think is going on? Well, um, Boko Haram split uh, between 2015 and 2016 into at least three different factions. We right. have the JAS, I do not know, I, I, I cannot pronounce the Arabic name. JAS, uh, which is headed by Abu Bakr Shekau. We mm-hmm. have Ansaru, that was led by Khalid al-Banawi, that has been in DSS custody from when he was arrested in Lokoja in 2016. Right. And we also have the Islamic State West Africa province, uh, which is a subset of Islamic State Central, that's ISIS Central. And over the past couple of years, what we've been seeing, uh, attacks basically have been attacks on hard targets like the military, military bases, military officials have been carried out by the Islamic State West Africa province. And their strategies are different, which is one of the reasons that led to the split some years ago. Um, the Islamic State components actually believe that um, it is better to direct energy to hard targets like the military that's directly taking the fights to the state hmm. instead of harming innocent civilians 
which the Shekau faction uh, does, does not have a problem with doing. And so much of these attacks we've been seeing on the military military bases and the rest of them have been carried out by Islamic states of Africa province. And it is not it is not so much as is it a question that Boko Haram is having more firepower. It's 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 more of a question that they've actually had equal firepower or less more or less equal firepower with the Nigerian military hmm. for some time. So so much so that we are currently what we are currently experiencing in the northeast is a stalemate. And this is a stalemate that has been going on for years. Uh, a couple of times you hear that, okay, the military made a head with the clear the particular area, and then the next thing you're hearing um, is that Boko Haram has taken over. I mean, Motala himself was the one who broke the story that Guzamala uh, local government area has not been habited by any Nigerian state officials, or been visited by any Nigerian state officials since the last attack by Boko Haram on the community in September 2018. Hmm. And so we have... It is local government like Guzamala local government that houses at least 90,000 people entirely under the control of Boko Haram, which is also the local government that currently produces the speaker of the Bono City House of Assembly, mm. and which goes contrary to, despite what the man has said on so many fora that Boko Haram controls large streets of territory in the northeast, the Nigerian government has continued to refute those claims. And the point I'm trying to make basically is the fact that um, we have a lot of work on our hand. Motala already highlighted some of the things we need to get done. That's the welfare of soldiers, intelligence gathering, uh, man management, and so many other things. But but the reality as it stands now is, is that it's going to take a whole lot of efforts from what he has said and what the military is supposed to do to actually overturn this particular situation around. Because from every indication so far, the Nigerian government and the Nigerian military are quite content on staying on this particular stalemate in the Northeast, which, of course, for some people, the super camp strategy, which has metamorphosed into forward operating bases, is a symbol and is a testament of leaving small of territory for the insurgents to move around and trying to manage man and resources into larger towns or garrisons. But the result has been that when you give the insurgents one inch, there's no guarantee that they will not take 10 inches, which exactly is what we are seeing today, especially in places like Gaidam in Yubi and some other communities in Bono North. Hmm. Now, let's move um, further south to Benue State. Abdullahi, last week we saw Governor Samuel Otom accusing the federal government, as as especially the, the presidency, of failing to take the right steps to secure Benue State. And he singled out militias working with herdsmen as the source, the main source of the violence in his state. How accurate is Otom's claim about the herder militias? And, you know, how have the how, how have the security agencies been responding to the crisis in Benue? Well, Benue has been one of the flashpoints for headers farmers' violence and other communal violence. And over the past few years, uh, the military has been conducting what is called as Operation Willstrook mm. uh, within the general area of Benue and also adjoining states mm-hmm. uh, against uh, armed groups and, and militias in the region. Mm. And I think some few months back, there was a period where there was relative calm mm. uh, before resumption of hostilities. Uh, we have seen attacks uh, on communities and then accusations flying around. So really, as the governor has said, uh, they have been 
cause to the federal government uh, to intervene. And maybe the federal government does not have much anymore to provide because uh, you have provided the tools, you have provided other support, and technically there is nothing new that can be done. Uh, we really need to find consensus on our approach to this crisis that has keep occurring because we have failed to address both the symptoms and underlying drivers. Even when you are able to contain the symptoms of a problem, if you do not solve the underlying drivers, these problems will continue to occur. And so it goes back into how do we uh, provide security for communities in the manner that they do not see the need uh, to arm themselves. Uh, so they don't see the need to go and acquire uh, rifles and form militia groups. Mm. How do we ensure that people engage in livelihoods in a manner that does not trespass on the rights and, and freedoms of other groups? Mm. Uh, we some of the conversation we have we have now should have been, we should have moved past them decades ago. We, right, uh, right. What kind of a pastoralism do we want to engage in? Is it one that is sustainable for both the headers and their communities and mm. also the country? Mm. Uh, what form of farming techniques do we need on? to engage in. So really, uh, the problem is multifaceted and it requires a lot of approach. And that's why whenever, for instance, it's, uh, there's an order that we're deploying 5,000 troops to the place, uh, after a period of relative calm, the, the violence resumes. Because the other factors, the environmental factors, the social factors, the economic factors have not been addressed. And so clearly in terms of law enforcement, how proactive is our law enforcement? Uh, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't really have a, a system that is only proactive in terms of regime security, mm. but we should have a system that is proactive in terms of protecting the people mm. because they, they cannot be a government or a regime without the people. Mm. And so the, the focus of our security system should be protecting the people, mm -hmm. uh, preventing crimes from happening and disrupting crimes that are about to happen. Mm. Uh, we shouldn't wait to be reactive. And by the time we are always reactive, lives have been lost, properties have been destroyed. Mm. Uh, we need to, a, a lot needs to change really in this country on how we understand and how we approach security. Um, com uh, confidence the presidency replied or Tom they rejected his accusations but they also asked him to quote cooperate with the federal government in the implementation of a number of national strategies and programs aimed at addressing underlying issues uh, militating against peace progress and development end quote now, yeah. what could these national strategies and programs possibly be? I mean, Tom has said that the only thing the federal government has suggested is the reopening of cattle migration routes from the 1950s. Is that the only way to have peace between host communities and herders? Well, uh, the, 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 the clash between the federal government and the Benisi government is profound. Uh, but but one, thing is, one thing is clear. Uh, what was trending over the past week was uh, uh, Ruga, uh, which, which of course translates into creating cattle colonies for the headers. Mm. Um, if, if, if you check the response from the Benuisi government uh, towards many of these plans, it, it's, a, it's one of antagonism. You know, normally the federal government cannot um, should I say implement many of all these programs if the state government is not in approval of them? There is, aside Uruga settlement scheme, there is also the National uh, Livestock Transformation Program, which mm. was, <coughs> sorry, 
which was the brainchild of the office of the vice president. Mm. And uh, some of these things are supposed to be tailor-made to fit each particular state according to the special needs. Mm. You do not simply carry a plan all the way from Asun Rock or Aguda House down to Benway and see if it works in Benway and because it works in Benway, it's something that's going to work in Ebony. Mm. Or if it does not work in Ebony, you say, okay, Ebony has a problem, you're going to take it to oil. It does not. Many of these states have their uniqueness. And so if the Benison government is telling you that these plans you're bringing does not work. Mm. Here as a federal government, you're supposed to listen to them. I, I mean, I, I, if, if I should add this particular bit, I would say that one of the reasons why we're having this needless friction between the federal government and the Benice government is the fact that the federal government has consistently refused to understand the peculiarities of many of these people and have decided to throw the part of hostility and using condescending languages to talk to many of these federation units and their heads. I would, I mean, as, as it stands now, not only is the federal government paying for it, its military is also paying for it too. In terms of insecurity in Benin, for instance, look at what happened in Udu local governments between the Bonta boys and the military. There was a clash between TV and Wukari communities in some parts of Benue, in the boundary between Benue and Taraba. Mm. The military was called in to, to maintain peace and order. Meanwhile, the little background, the military withdrew from Benue around, <clears throat> around uh, uh, October 2019. Mm. Uh, it was part of, um, op I think, Operation AM at Patuma 2, which uh, the federal government got tired of the of using the military in so many internal security operations, and then decided to withdraw them in order to allow the police to maintain peace in these communities. So, at the withdrawal of the military, as at the Benue elders refused the idea, saying that it is going to lead to more problems because the existing problem between TV and, and Jukun communities between Benue and Taraba state have not been solved. The federal government refused. The, the military sent in the police. The police later left without even achieving any problem. And at the moment the police left, the problem returned. So what happened next? The government had to send in the military this year, which was what led to the killing of 11 military officers which, from the Nigerian army. And then in response, the Nigerian military decided to go into the town and killed everything that moved on site. So this is part of the thing that antagonizes state governments with the federal government. In the first place, you're not listening to their command, and you're not listening to their demands. You're not tailoring demands to suit them. And then when they complain, and when these problems come up from some of the problems we've been creating, we speak condescendingly to them, and then sending the military to quell any such conflict. That might but didn't Otom accept NLTP while rejecting Ruga? He said? Well, didn't Autom accept NLTP while rejecting Ruger? So, so yes. If, if he accepted the NLTP, mm -hmm. uh, that is on one hand. But then, saying that grazing, grazing roots should be open is another question entirely. And so, for, for I, I mean, from the governor's standpoint, this, this was not good too well for the security of the people he was elected to govern. And so, this is something that the federal government and the Benin state government were supposed to sit down in the room to iron out and discuss because a lot of all these 
public conflagrations, speeches, antagonisms, conversation, they are absolutely unnecessary. At the end of the day, both sides are paying heavily for it. Hmm. Uh, Abdullahi, uh, um, Governor Otom replied the reply of the presidency, right? And he challenged the federal government to call the herdsmen militia by name as the source of the violence. Even the latest Global Terrorism Index from 2020 lists herdsmen militias as one of the terror threats in the country. Does Otom have a point about the government needing to do uh, more to name these groups as a threat and to craft specific strategies against them? Um, well, Tom has a has a has a point. Uh, despite his uh, political uh, maneuvers around the issue, okay. uh, there's a need to clearly classify the kind of threats that we face in Nigeria. Mm. Uh, that way, it shapes how the government responds to them. Mm. So, it's for instance like uh, calling uh, certain criminals or non-government, mm. you're not helping the situation because you have not defined the problem. Mm. So once you define the problem and accept that a problem exists, then you can solve the problem both in terms of its symptoms and underlying issues. Mm. So yes, I agree that there's a need to really define who are the actors either in Brainway, in Zamfara, in Kaduna. Mm. That way it shapes how the state responds. Mm. Uh, to just add up to the NLTP conversation, really, mm-hmm. the NLTP, it's a reactivation of what has been there on ground and been left, uh, uh, left in cupboards for decades, mm-hmm. uh, trying to provide headers with areas where they, they, they can create. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of concerns on how to stand the approach we mm-hmm. concerning the expansion of the population of Nigeria and the dwindling resources that are available to the government to make the adequate investments that are required in the grazing areas that are available. Mm-hmm. Some of these grazing areas have already been encroached by both uh, local population and other private citizens. Mm-hmm. And so this is also like a recipe for another problems in the future, except the, the model that, is being implemented, that will be implemented in a manner that is sustainable. Mm. Either emp- empowering the heads to be able to provide certain level of uh, support for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily the government continue to fund the process, because it's not a sustainable approach for the government to continue to fund the NLTP mm-hmm. heads to be empowered in a way that they be able to provide a support system for themselves and private investors can provide uh, feeding facilities for cattle. Their dome can be used for ammonium fertilizer, which can also be supplied to farmers. That way you have a microeconomy that is built around the grazing areas. And with continuous education, then there will be hopefully a transition by headers towards ranching. Uh, this This should really be a transition process and one with an economic incentive that makes it uh, a viable option. Mm. Uh, it can fund itself, it can support the headers, and it can support the local population and also the state in terms of revenue. Mm. Uh, so really, there's a lot that we that we can do really to make a difference. Uh, our security uh, situation, if the right response is made, it can also be a path towards peace and progress because the responses can have a effect in improving our economy 
and also changes the trajectory of our country. Now, I I, I want to stay on you a bit uh, longer, um, Abdullahi. <coughs> Over the weekend, Governor Kaide Faimi of Ekiti talked about recruitment, right? And he said the police and military need a combined increase of at least 200,000 personnel to handle the current security situation. Is that number in the right ballpark or do we need far more, uh, you know, people than that? And also, how do we bridge this personnel gap at a time when government revenues are low and budgets are in deficit? So I think for our politicians, it's easy for them to shout uh, that we have a small number of boots across the country. Mm-hmm. Why we can clearly see that a huge chunk of our security partners are providing security for governors, for ministers, for VIP, mm-hmm. and for uh, other uh, politically exposed persons. Yeah. So we have an issue around misappropriation of security resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have from weapons to gadgets to helmets to frag jackets that should be used in security communities for being used to uh, provide security for uh, political exposed persons, even in places where they are where there is very little mm-hmm. or no threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, in Abuja, except for now that we can say yes, because of the spike in criminality, uh, uh, senior officials that want to travel between states will require uh, a more robust security. Mm-hmm. However, we are misappropriating the, the kind of uh, the resources that we have. Uh, protecting uh, very few people while exposing the majority to, to danger. Secondly, it's on quality. The, cons- the focus should be on quality, not quantity. Mm. A single police officer can do the job of multiple officers if he has the right training and has the right support equipment. So really our focus should be on really the quality of our police officers, the quality of our security personnel, both in terms of the military and the paramilitary. Uh, what kind of conditions are, uh, are, uh, is our police facilities? Uh, what kind of training is our police, uh, our police officers are having? What kind of techniques and procedures of policing has been adopted? So we need to really invest in improving the quality of our security personnel before we even talk about expanding the quantity. Already we have a quality issue. If you expand, how do you even cope? This is I'm concerning the dwindling revenues. Secondly, we should also adopt a much more flexible approach towards complementing numbers. Uh, in some countries, they have what they call volunteer police, where professionals just get training, they don't get paid, but they support the police. I think the FRS has a program like that where people volunteer to be traffic support uh, in, um, in providing uh, traffic services. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I think they kind of volunteer cause such situation. Mm-hmm. In some countries, they have volunteer policing where professionals, doctors, and uh, who join the police, uh, they delegate certain hours for police service and they don't get paid for it. Mm. The only thing they get is training. But, uh, but that, should, that should not really be the major issue. Now, the major issue for us is to imp- really improve the quality of our security personnel, both in terms of the police and the military. And also, how do we manage and use our resources in an effective and efficient manner? Hmm. Lagos, you've been listening to Abdullahi Motala from Humangle. He's a security journalist. And you've also been listening to Confidence McHarry, a security analyst from SBM Intelligence. They've both been very gracious with their time. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us again on Hard Facts. It's been a pleasure.
All right, Lagos, uh, let me give you a chance to win 10,000 naira. I'm sorry you didn't have the time to call into the conversation. You were calling while the conversation was going on. Let me not lie. But... Um, of course, uh, the conversation is really good. And with certain conversations, it's it's usually great to um, sit back and hear from the professionals themselves. So let's take a break. We'll be right back.